Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. How you doing? Hey, David. Long time no talk to. Oh, I'm doing all right. Got my uh, got my cat back from uh, sick list and uh, feeling a little bit more comfortable about that. So, uh, cat's not feeling well, eh? No, she no, she has uh, she has some issues, but uh, she's on a new medication and diet, and she seems to be bouncing back real well. So that's good news. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, those kinds of things can weigh on you when yeah. there's uh, sickness in the family, including pets. Yeah, including absolutely. pets for sure. Absolutely. You you had to change your vacation plans didn't you? <laughs> to come home because our cat had worms. oh god let's not even talk about that all right (laughs) that was last month's Mm -hmm. moment bruce today we are going to talk about oilers rookie camp it's coming it's coming september 15th yeah september 15th yeah off ice off ice on the 15th and then uh they hit the ice the next night and two two nights after that they're playing a a game against uh, Calgary Flames uh, rookies. In fact, they have two games against them, uh, both live streamed but close to the public on Saturday and Monday of uh, the 18th and 20th of September. So we'll get our chance to watch these guys on the grainy feed of uh, the internet. Excellent. I hope it's okay. Sometimes mm-hmm. it is, sometimes it isn't. It's of uncertain quality as is the broadcast of the Bakersfield Condors games from the AHL. Mm-hmm. Some of them, some of them really good and some of them are horrible, horrible. Yeah. You can't even follow the play hardly, but I'm going to be subscribing to the Bakersfield Condor live stream, Bruce, this year, because I think this, this is the most um, kind of exciting year to follow the Bakersfield Condors since dry and nurse were sent down. Now we didn't know that that year that was going to happen. Uh, it did happen. That was the same year. Was it not? That yeah, Dreisaitl it was 2015. McDavid's rookie season, yeah. and they they both were there uh, for most of October, and called up before October was over, never to be seen again at the AHL level. Nurse nurses skating um, was just so far above anyone else in the AHL, even at that time. And Dreisaitl didn't rip up the scoring, but he was he was you know he should have made the Oilers out of training camp that year. I don't know what the heck happened there, but uh, that was not justice. For I him. can tell you. I can tell you what happened. Uh, they had four bonus baby rookies mm-hmm. because they just gone out and acquired um, uh, Griffin Reinhardt and his fourth overall entry level contract that had like three and a half million dollars in bonuses that he was never ever going to earn. <sighs> but because they had him <clears throat> and they had uh, uh, they had Leon and they had McDavid and who was the fourth guy? that uh, had substantial bonuses and they couldn't fit them all under the league's policy easily. So they had, Yak? they had to, was Yak on still, was, was he on his ELC still then? I uh, know he would have been through his ELC. The fourth guy was a lower, it wasn't like the, wasn't like the $3 million bonus, but it was significant. Bomb. No, that would have been gone anyway, too. They, anyway, they had, they had too many bonus babies. And it was yet another way that the Griffin Reinhardt trade screwed the Oilers. 
well, essentially they screwed themselves with that uh, with that trade and and they uh, it just had lots of negative fallout and one of it was Leon Dreisaitl was precluded from making the team out of training camp that year and he did deserve it to, to be on the NHL team so I think he took him a week or so to come around in Bakersfield and then uh, he quickly earned his way back up to the bigs the first bonus baby that's a term out of baseball yes, history sure is. Uh, because they used to according to this the first bonus baby was Paul Petit Paul uh-huh. Pettit they probably would have said Pettit in the states wasn't there a Bob Pettit the great basketball player uh signed with the Pirates let me see if I can find the year here I just I just googled it quickly and a baseball pitcher too yeah so that's that's where that 1949 uh so yeah bonus babies Bruce um let's start out um so what the reason that Bakersfield is going to be so exciting this year is so they they have um there's a possibility Dylan Holloway will start the year here in there mm-hmm. in in the bake and oh, um first round pick probably play center down there if he's now there's a there's a bit of an injury with both him and Samarukov though I hear what is mm-hmm. what's going on with those two guys and their health well they both uh last season uh, both had outstanding seasons that were cut short late in the year by uh, significant injuries. And they wound up having uh, uh, having to, uh, I think, undergo surgery in both cases. Uh, Samorkov, it was a shoulder issue. With, um, uh, with um, Holloway, it was a wrist, a thumb, the, uh, you know, the bone in the hollow of the thumb. Uh, the heck is it called? Uh, the, the hollow bone that's that's right there the one that will implode you're asking you're asking me yeah yeah no anyway <laughs> i should know it anyway that bone and so that's a concern for starters if it's still uh-huh. giving him issues like six months after the fact that he got hurt uh if it's uh, holding him out but i would not be surprised to hear that these guys are there i mean they're listed on the uh rookie camp roster they'll be here they'll be doing the off-ice stuff but i won't be surprised to here they're skating off in a corner somewhere and not participating in this drill or that drill and that sort of thing which is a pain in the butt mm. i'm so sick of that guys getting hurt before they you know that's it's a story uh, of hockey just love yeah i'm well aware and that's uh it's a tough sport i still remember doug lynch man it's you know it's oh yeah he was going to be a real player and the injuries did him in before he ever really had a any kind of a shot so scaphoid bone it's a scaphoid bone the one Kevin Lowe played through for the entirety of the 1988 playoffs with a busted scaphoid, and, and uh, somehow he met, was able to tape a stick into his hand or something, and he was able to to play the games. When men were men and scaphoid injuries were ignored. Uh, <laughs> 1988. Bruce, um, there's a number of great candidates for the top we're going to start with the top lines mm-hmm. um in bakersfield although i um you know the defense and goalie are the in some ways the most significant positions but um lots of lots of candidates so i'm just going to list them off for you so um we have Raphael lavois and kirill maximov i think on the right side if i'm not mistaken although lavois can play either side I both Seth, can. yeah they both can so there's some flexibility there seth griffin i think he's back 
Mm-hmm. And he is yeah, a tre- he signed a two-year deal last year. He is a tremendous attacking player at the HL level. Doesn't have to play the top two lines, though. He can play third line. You know, he's he's there as a veteran. They like him, though. I mean, and he's tremendous. Like, he he's as talented as, you know, he just, he's just never been able to crack the NHL. But at the AHL level, he's an elite attacker. Uh, and they have Ostap Safin also on the right side, according to their depth chart. So um, that's four guys there that are good hockey players. Safin's not really um, an NHL prospect anymore. I don't think he's in the final year of his ELC. He had some okay games last year, but he just really hasn't developed. Now, he's a great big guy. Maybe he's a, a late bloomer. At center, they have... Um, he's the opposite of the other guys, by the way. He's a left shot who likes to play right wing. Oh, yeah. Whereas Maximov and Lavoie are big right shot guys who like to play left wing. So among them, they'll cover the two sides, and I guess they'll figure it out. I just list them as right shot and left shot wingers when I'm doing depth charts and stuff. And until they, you know, until they prove at the NHL level, you know, like Neil Yakupov did, for example, that he's a left shot, but he's a right winger, right? I mean, that was that was his position, but uh, yeah, he never on really the way up. It, it's but, very, very undecided at this point what position they'll wind up in. At, at center, um, they have uh, Kyle Turris, Dylan Holloway, Brad Malone is back. I'm pretty sure they have uh, Devin Brasso as well, who's a older NCAA player who signed there last year. And I'm not sure if Liam Folks is back or not, but um, but they have Devin Brusso. So He's Turris, Turris may, uh, of course, make the Oilers as a u- utility forward if they're looking for a good soldier and he's willing to be that. There's that chance that he'll make the Oilers. Um, but he could be playing the whole year in Bakersfield. And uh, I don't know what we'd be, you know, I don't think he, I, the one big prospect is Holloway and no one's going to get in his way for ice time down there. So if they have Turris and Malone, who are two veteran players, I don't see that holding back um, Malone or or, uh, Holloway at all. He's going to, he's going to be featured if he's down there. The other uh, key center guy who was playing center last year, I assume will be again is, um, Oh heck, Adam Cracknell. Who Wasn't he a winger, Cracky? Last year he signed an AHL deal, and or NHL deal, and this offseason he signed an AHL deal to stay in Bakersfield. Uh, he's listed as a winger, but he was the guy, as I understand it, he was playing center and Seth Griffith was playing uh, uh, and wing. Lavoie. Yeah, and Lavoie, Lavoie was playing the other wing. Yeah, fair enough. So... Um, that's, he could he that, could probably do a lot because he's a very veteran hockey player. Mm-hmm. Crack, no. Yeah, yeah, and, and if, they can put him wherever they need him, and he'll yeah he'll do well there. He's he's an outstanding minor league player, and sort of very marginal NHLer. You know, he's a tweener, but at the AHL level, he's uh, uh, he's got um, more you know more than enough game to help a team down at the AHL level, and, and very good in the mentor role too, apparently. Well, he's 30, I think he's 37 yeah. now. I think Brad Malone got hurt at one point. Mm-hmm. So they probably needed that kind of bigger checking center uh, when he got went out of the lineup. He went, Brad, Brad Malone went into the broadcast booth and he was actually pretty good. He was funny. Uh, and, uh, but he was, Malone was back for the playoffs. Anyway, he's back and Cracknell's back. So there's a, there's a couple of really solid big veteran players that will help 
the younger wingers on the team, like Lavoie and Maximov. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know where Turris would fit in in this roster. He could, he'll fit in where they need him, I guess, uh, mm-hmm. if, if he is down there. It sounds like he's he's getting a little bit of a push, though, Turris, to make the team. There's oh, all kinds of good yeah. verbal... Good, good verbal. He's in camp. He's doing whatever. He's, you know, which is good because the shape last, of his life. Last year, Bruce, when I actually heard Turris talk, he's supposed to be a great guy. But when I heard one interview and they asked him what's wrong with his game, he was just focused on his offensive play, like he's just got it together. Like and like I, I, you know, Kyle Turris's game at the NHL level. I don't believe the offense is ever coming back. I just no, that is not happening. I mean, what is there? 1% chance, one in a hundred that he might come back and get a 15 to 20 goal, 20 goal season, Bruce. It, but he's had two terrible attack, two or three terrible attacking seasons in a row. He's so when he said that his offense has got to come back, I was just like shaking my head because he was the worst defensive center I have seen watching the Edmonton Oilers in all the time I've watched the Edmonton Oilers in the NHL. His slot coverage, you know, for a guy who's coming in as the third line checking center, it was just remarkably not there so if he's gonna make the oilers I, I as a center i don't know bruce i just i'm glad he's in great shape and i wish him well he's got to figure out though like if he's on the oilers defense first it's all about the defensive play for him and maybe he can chip in enough on the attack because he does have some skill on the attack i i saw some good passing and that kind of thing now and then but uh i don't know like they seem to want to have him on the team, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's been there's been verbal all summer about how hard he's working out and stuff, and it, it's. I wonder how much of it is real. I mean, the, the Oilers. I mean, they signed him to a two-year deal, so they're stuck with his contract no matter what. Yeah. So maybe they didn't want to be hearing negative, negative all summer long. I mean, there's there's a whole season for us to be negative. We don't have to be negative on the off season too. So let's say some nice things. I don't know. Uh, I you know prove prove it. Show me. That's my position to Kyle Terrace. You know, come to the ice. What you do on the ice, I'm quite prepared to to fairly. I hope judge. What happens on the ice, but all this, all this bump about what's going on in the summertime, you know, I'm in the best shape of my life. How many times have you heard a guy say that? And how often does it then turn into the guy having a fantastic season? Yeah. Rob Brown was saying that on owners now, like you'd, you'd, he said they'd go into training camp and the guy who was the best shape coming in was always in the run, the first cuts. Mm-hmm. Uh <laughs> Okay, so he is in the running. He could play in the AHL. You know, he, yep. he you know, that 50, would be 50, I say. Yeah, and, and he would be a good AHL player, probably. He would probably help that team if his if if he's uh got the right attitude. And you know, he but it, again, going down there, it shouldn't be like I'm gonna be on the one of the top two lines and be a scorer down there. No, you're you're a, a role support player um for the prospects, the actual NHL prospects on this team. On the left side, we've got um Brendan Perlini. Um, could could easily end up down there. Tim Sutherland, who is the throw-in on the Keith trade, and I don't even know why the Oilers took that player because he's had such poor success in the at the AHL level. He's never done anything, but who knows? Um, Luke Esposito, who is a fantastic AHL player. He's one of my favorites uh, when I watch that team because his effort is, uh, <laughs> is just off-the-charts off effort. He hustles like crazy, and he hits... 
he hits like a, he's not a big guy, but he hits and he, he hurts when he hits players. Fierce hockey player, smart defensive hockey player, great role player at the HL level. And they have, I think it's, it's James Hamblin, is that it? Uh, who is a former WHL player. And yeah, James Hamblin, 21 last year. He had 15 points in 38 games in his first AHL season. He's a fast skater. Like, who knows? Maybe he'll step up and surprise everybody and and um, and advance down there. So, Brissette is um, all told. Now, of, of course, there's also, there's two other players. There's two wild cards, Cooper Marodi and Tyler Benson, who have had tremendous success at the AHL level. And could and I think one of them will be if if one of them's not claimed on waivers, one of them will be at least one of them will be with the Condors, maybe both of them, which would be a shame for them. And the Condors really probably don't need both of them. They need to develop other players in, in some ways. And I wonder if they I wonder if they just trade Marodi or work out something. If he didn't make the Oilers, if they just trade him or something. Oh, you're quiet there, Bruce. You got your mute on. They haven't even signed him yet. Oh, they haven't. No. So, hmm. it's, what do you think? Yeah. I don't know. There, there's, there's something going on there that it's not working. So, Is he at the rookie camp roster? Let me just have a look. There. Uh no, I don't think so. He's too. Uh, oh, he's too old. Yeah, for that. Anyway. For that. So, as for Tim Soderland, five foot nine, hundred sixty-three pounds. Uh, plays left or right wing. And last year he did get 10 goals in the Alspenskin, but he came over to Rockford of the AHL, played 23 games, zero goals, five assists, minus 14. And so Chicago moved him to Edmonton. And, you know, Edmonton did nothing, absolutely nothing to hype that. They didn't say, well, we got this young, exciting prospect from Sweden, Tim Sutherland, in this in this Keith deal as well. Let's not sell him short. There was nothing. Uh, just like, it was like it was a contract, like Chicago needed a space on their 50-man list and Edmonton had space on there, so they took the guy. Because there, there, there's just been absolutely zero in the way of positive reporting on Tim Sutherland. I mean, maybe he's a player, but, you know, I, if if he was, you'd think the orders would be when they were taking all the deserved grief for uh, getting hosed in, in the Keith deal. And one of the negatives, it seemed like, at least to me, was they wound up taking this contract off of Chicago. Like they did four or five different favors for Chicago that kind of didn't help Edmonton at all, but it helped the Hawks. And taking Soderlund was one of those things. Giving them a draft pick was one of those things. You know, trading Caleb Jones was one of those things. Taking all of Keith's salary was the huge, huge thing. Uh, giving them a conditional draft pick was another one of those things because that, if the Oilers make the finals, the draft pick gets upgraded from a third to a second, and you're going, okay, well, if they make the finals, everyone's going to be happy, right? Well, guess what? At the trade deadline, they can't trade either the third or the second because they don't know how the playoffs are going to go, and they're committed both picks to Chicago. So, you know, it's just an unnecessary paint their way into their own court. I'm still upset about that trade. I just don't think they they, they worked out, out well at all. I can see that you're still upset about that trade, Bruce. <laughs> and I mean, this is aside from what Duncan Keith does on the ice. And I hope like hell he comes and has a, has a golden years, kind of two years here in Edmonton 
and and shuts us up. The player is one thing. The trade, the orders had had a number of things in their favor going into it, and I just don't think they worked it well at all. Yeah, the clear the clear message from that trade is Ken Holland had a completely and utterly different valuation of Duncan Keith than the vast majority of Oilers fans. Ken Holland saw him as Chris Chelios. It seems like, well, no, that's a, that's an overstatement. He gave up, a, I think, a first or two first picks for or a good player and a first pick for Chris Chelios. Mm-hmm. But he, he had a he had a pretty high valuation of Duncan Keith, and 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 maybe some other teams did. Maybe there was a bidding war or something. I don't know. Like it didn't sound like it. He wanted to get traded like, to West Western yeah, Canada. I know. And that's, and that it sounds advantage. like the Flames and the Canucks didn't want him. So yeah. I don't know. Sounded like sounded like yeah. And Sutherland, not only was it like not good, like uh, verbal about him. There, the one thing quote I remember seeing to recall from Holland was something like, "Yeah, and Chicago had this player that they wanted to didn't have a spot for on the roster, so we took him." That's correct me if I'm wrong. Anyone listening to this, if I got that wrong, I will correct myself. But that that's what I remember from Holland on orders now was just essentially they didn't want him, so we had to take him. That was the gist of it. So, so there we have Tim Sauter. Anyway, Bruce, he's he, it's a he's part you know, of the team, and he's going to play in the. I'm I'm assuming he will play in the uh, in Bakersfield, and good luck to him. Uh, but uh, there's not a whole lot on his resume that suggests that since he was drafted, that he's progressed to the point where he's a a, a potential NHL class player. I'm I'm not seeing it. Hmm. Agreed. So this is a good group of forwards. There's a good mix of veteran players there uh, with Lavoie, Maximov, and and probably Holloway. There's a good mix of uh, prospects as well. And and to me, the key, um, you know, Jay Woodcroft likes his players to earn their playing time. He's generally pretty good, generally pretty good playing the younger players, putting them in, in um, positions. Um, where they're getting lots of ice time and being uh, challenged. Uh, so, but the key is how much ice time and that opportunity Lavoie, Maximov, Holloway earn and get. Like they need, they, those are the those are the players on this team with the real potential to be future Edmonton Oilers. So I just I'm just hoping to see Lavoie and Maximov seize jobs in the top six on the on the and the power play units, the penalty kill units. Maximov did as a rookie was a penalty killer. Yep. And Holloway, of course, just to dominate, play, play, play all um, uh, different types of ice time, different um, states of the game, end of the game, end of the period, shorthanded power play if he's down there and and put up at least a point a game. That, I think, would be my hope for uh, Holloway down there, maybe even a little bit more than that. So we'll see. This, this is where Benson and Marodi, I mean, their roles, I mean, as well as they played in their roles, another year for them in Bakersfield doesn't do the Oilers as much good as opening up those opportunities for younger guys. So ideally, uh, Benson and or Marodi either make the Oilers or they move them along and ideally get something for them. I just don't know that a fourth year doing the same thing they did for the other three years, which is scoring wingers, is uh, is really to the advantage of the organization or those players. It's time for them to make that step. So, Well, if Yamamoto's holdout gets a little more serious and he starts missing time, this opens up a spot for Benson to compete for 
and for Marodi. Like, <laughs> could Cooper Marodi score at the same level that Tyler Benz or Kyler Yamamoto did at even strength last year? I think Cooper Marodi could at the NHL level. He's a, he's a tremendous puck passer of the puck and skater with the puck. He's not super fast. I think on the wing, he's an okay defensive player. Yamamoto's an exceptional defensive player. But um, he could bring the offense that Kyler Yamamoto did. Yeah, I'm yeah, certain probably. of that. Yeah. Wasn't a lot of offense last year from Kyler right. Yamamoto. So, you know, I, I'm hoping Marodi, you know, if, if Yamamoto doesn't sign, like he's, I just think, um, you know, Kyler Yamamoto should be, does he want to be an Edmonton owner or not? Because what we saw last year with Ethan Bear was a player who held out. And, uh, you know, there was a bit of back and forth on the contract. Bear wasn't there at key moments in terms of team building and getting in sync with the team. And he had a weak start to the year, uh, is the truth. And um, then he got traded. I don't, I, I'd like to see, see Kyler Yamamoto on this team. And I think there is a time to be a little modest in your contract demands. And when you don't have the hammer in negotiations like he doesn't, when you've just had a poor season like he doesn't, when you're on a team that's pressed up against the cap like the orders are, maybe mm-hmm. this is a moment where you just kind of back off a little bit and show that you want to be part of this group and come in here, have a great season, and you will get paid then. Like that's every NHL player who has a good season gets paid. That's what happens. So Mm -hmm. that's what I would hope for Yamamoto. And if he doesn't do that, you know, it's not like the orders, it's not like the cupboards bare anymore. There's Holloway, there's Benson, there's Marodi, there's, uh, you know, there's Perlini and Devon Shore, there's other veterans. Now Perlini and Shore, I don't think replace Yamamoto, but Holloway or Benson might. Marodi might, at least in the short term. They got three guys, three bullets to fire to see if they can find one that takes Kyler Yamamoto's spot. What are the chances one of them succeeds? I think pretty good, actually. So, Well, you mentioned a key thing there uh, in my mind, which is uh, the team building thing. We're now into that. I've been saying for some podcasts now that uh, they need to get this Yamamoto thing done, and it's now gotten to the point. I mean, they're still... They're not at rookie camp yet. Main camp is a further week beyond that, uh, that he, you know, needs to be signed before he starts missing real time. But already he's missing team building time. You hear these reports of unofficial practices, but we got Connor and Leon and Nuge and, and Darnell, you know, and, and sort of the core group. Oh, yeah. And Devin Shore, uh, core group, you know, dozen guys practicing there. All the oh, skill guys, all the skill guys. And Yamamoto is not among them. So not only is he not signed, he's not even, you know, he's he's outside of that process. And that's, you know, I mean, that's the thing, sort of thing where you want your team to grow together right from even before the season starts. At least I do. And I think the sooner the better. Uh, he's not in a strong negotiation, negotiating position. But if he signs a low ball one year uh, contract and plays on line with, with uh, Drysaddle and or McDavid. Last year, he played quite a bit of time with both those guys. Uh, that puts him in great negotiating position for his next contract. And so it may it may have to be that he's going to have to do what Kevin LeBanc did out there in San Jose and take the low ball offer and, and uh, get paid the next year. And Kevin LeBanc certainly got paid. So, you know, it's, it's a... And, and, I mean, the bigger worry is that... He signs that and he, he get, puts himself in a position to get paid, and they don't have any money because they've already, you know, committed so much. So, 
That is a big worry, but yeah. They got Koskinen's contract coming off the books next year. Yeah. Yeah, they, uh, they might have to sign a goalie, though, so we'll see what happens there. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I think if he... The players aren't going to hold it against the guy for holding out for more money. Everyone understands it's a business. It's about the money. And um, oh, sure. but it's also about the team. So if if he missed a month and then came in like gangbusters, there wouldn't be any that wouldn't be an issue uh, with the, with the players. But but I don't think he will either. But it's just interesting to see. Uh, I just wonder what's going to happen here. And and there is just like with Barry, you know, there's other players coming up. There's Bouchard. This is a different Oilers organization now with serious depth um, in pretty much every position. And players who have yet to firmly establish themselves where they have signed long-term contracts, all of them, their, their future on the team is in doubt. And mm. we, we saw that, you know, for years, we thought Caleb Jones and Ethan Bear were going to be the big part of the future of the Oilers defense while both of them are gone. And, we'll, you know, will the Oilers miss them? We'll see. But, but um, they do have other players, you know, prospects who are really strong candidates to take take their spots in the owner's pecking order in Bouchard, Broberry, and Samarukov. So the same applies, is starting to apply at forward. Um, mm. I mean, Raphael Lavoie is not NHL ready right now. Right. He could be fast, right? Like if he comes out of the gate strong, if he's worked hard this summer, this is his, uh, it's his s- s- second pro season. Uh, but wingers develop fast. If he's, if he gets it going in the bake, he could be an he could be an Edmonton in twenty or thirty games. Let's well, move on. Go ahead. Talk sir. about balance and and the prospect pool. And that was kind of my uh, focal point of the wrap when we wrapped up our prospect series. The fact is that the the uh, uh, the rankings that we gave to the players when you got went from from one to twelve, we had two left wingers, two centers, two right wingers, two left defensemen, two right defensemen, and two goalies. So nice. that's all that balance. And and by left and right, I just sorted them by which way they shoot the puck. Like some of these guys can have more than one option, but they, you know, it's a, it's a well-balanced set. And really the top 12, <clears throat> you know, 10 to 14, you can draw the line where you want, but let's say the top 12 have realistic NHL uh, possibilities in their future. They won't all make it, but some of them sure will. So on defense, Bruce, uh, it's interesting because there had been talk about Bakersfield signing a right shot kind of veteran guy. There's a lot of defensemen though that could make the Bakersfield Condors this year already under contract. And I, I, I'm not keen about them signing actually a veteran, even if Bakersfield would be stronger as a team. I think uh, they should place their trust in the players they have, mainly because Philip Berryland, who's coming over from Sweden is a veteran. He was, he was playing in the top four for Sweden in Sweden the last two seasons, which is a mm-hmm. comparable league to the AHL. Better. He's, he's a great big guy um, who should be able to step into the top four. And then on the right side, they'd have Mike Kesselring, uh, Phil Kemp, and um, what's his name? Deharnay's first name. Um, Vincent. Vincent Deharnay. I was going to say David Deharnay, but there's a little bit of a size difference between David Deharnay. <laughs> And Vincent DeHarnay was thinks I think he's about six eight or six seven. Anyway, they have these three big young right shot D, and they've got Barryland. They also have Dmitry Samarukov, who can play the right side. Like if they're really hurting for a, he played it in the in the KHL and crushed it. Yeah. 
Then they have on the left side, so they have Sam Rukov on the left side, Philip Broberry, Marcus Niemelainen, Jan Kaldas, uh, and um, possibly William Lagesson if he clears waivers and doesn't make the orders. So they've got, you know, maybe that's why they're not bringing in another veteran defenseman because they're starting to think maybe Lagesson's going to get sent down and clear waivers and be in the AHL this year. And um, that would solve that problem. Like they will, last year, Bruce, the strength of their team in many ways was two veteran HLD men, Ryan Stanton and uh, Kevin Gravel, who were at the AHL level, were, were two of the best defensemen in the league, really provided a stable base for that entire team, the success of that team. And they helped Stuart Skinner a lot um, with their strong play. They will miss those two players immensely. So I can see the temptation to have that, bring in another guy like that and have that base. But hopefully Barry Lund can provide it. Sam Arukov and Broberry Niemelainen. Like, I, I don't see why not. These are all fantastic hockey players. No, at the uh, HL level, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, both... Um, oh. Garland and, and uh, Niemelainen are in their draft plus six seasons. I mean, we're not talking about young players here. They're still yeah. developing players, but they're not exactly, uh, you know, uh, raw rookies or anything close, even as uh, uh, Berlin's never played on this side of the pond before, and there will be some growing pains, but uh, expect him to expect an experienced uh, player. Uh I'm sort of ogling the size of this group of defensemen they have down here. I mean, this is a listings from the Oilers' own site. Uh, Berryland 6'3", uh, Broberry 6'3", uh, Kemp 6'3", Kesselring officially 6'4", I keep hearing 6'5", he looks big, uh, Lagesson only 6'2", Niemelainen 6'6", uh, uh, Smorkov 6'3", and then we have Deharney, who's on an AHL contract, who's 6'7". So it's it's just, you know, monsters back there. We're sort of the, the lowest common denominator, 6'3". And so, uh, and that's a good thing. Like, I've always liked biggish defensemen uh, as an old goalie. You know, I have nothing like, like more than a strapping defenseman that'll protect the front of the net. And the orders have got uh, not the hugest defense at the NHL level that won't hurt for, you know, a couple of these guys. And obviously, uh, you know, Samorkov and Brovery are, are the are the leading candidates, both six foot three and, and uh, good skaters that, um, you know, will, will enhance the, the big team in time with uh, a little bit more size on the back end. The big boys brigade, Bruce, the big boys. They are, this is, this is, and I'm really, so here's what, here's what I'm excited about with Philip Broberry. Um, you know, the eighth overall pick in the 2019 draft. He's had a couple of years in Sweden now uh, with mixed results, partly because of injury. But yeah. I, I like the idea of him on the small North American ice because he is so big and so agile and fast. Um, his ability to shut down opposing players and just, you know, quickly should be, uh, come to the fore. I think his game is suited. What he brings is really suited for the North American ice. And, uh, we know that, um, Dave Madsen down there is, is skilled at developing D-men. He's got, 
strong track record with Jones, Bear, Bouchard, who all improved when they were there. So uh, I can't wait to see Broberry. I don't think he's going to make the orders. I can't wait to see him in, in Bakersfield uh, for those reasons. Yeah, so I'm kind of with you that they're they're going to miss those two vets on the on the blue line, but I think it's better for the uh, uh, for the team long term that they have such a rich class of young defensemen, you know, six or seven guys here that uh, you know realistically have a chance. So let them play, and if they, you know, if you're dressing six guys and they're all like 24, 23, 21 years old. Uh, you may be slightly less successful at winning games at that level, but I, I think the experience for those players is paramount. That's what the that's what the team is is for. That's Jay Woodcroft and Dave Manson's first job, and they they repeatedly say so is to develop players for the you know, for the NHL and, and try to do it in the context of winning games, which is I mean ideally you want to develop a winning team, so winning games and getting used to shutting down games with the lead, you know, that's a, that's, that's nice experience for uh, those players. But uh, I, I want, just want to see him get a lot of ice time. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see Barry Lynn too. Cause he's, you know, he, he's been over in Europe all these years. We're finally going to see him. He was taking one in the 2016 draft. So um, yeah. he and Nima Linen. So we're finally yeah. going to see this player. And uh, he, we, we saw him bad in Europe last year cause he was injured though. So he, he was lacking mobility and he didn't play well. But uh, we might be quite pleasantly surprised by this player as well. So uh, that's something I'm going to be keeping my eye on. Bruce, in net, there's a real battle um, of talented picks, fairly high draft picks. Skinner, Skinner, Konovalov, third round, correct? And yep. uh, Rodrigue, second round. Yep. So these are all high, highly drafted players. Skinner had a tremendous year last year, one of the best save percentages in the HL, and led his team to the division championship in the playoffs. So a, a proven proven winner in the playoffs, which is what you want more than anything else. If you're a goalie, and the thing you want attached to your name is proven winner in the playoffs. It goes a long way with NHL people, as it should. So they got Skinner there. He's in his fourth year of uh, minor pro and should be the number one guy. But he's going to be getting a lot of competition from whoever is with him. And it could be a mix of the two. They could, Konovalov, Ilya Konovalov and Olivier Rodrigue could be splitting time between the AHL and the ECHL. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens, where they both get a lot, go down and maybe play for two months, get a lot of playing time with one of the teams down there, and then move back up and switch with the other guy, possibly. But we'll see, like, Konovalov was, has been a, a strong goalie in the KHL could come here and uh, earn the starting job ahead of Skinner in in Bakersfield. Rodrigue is promising goalie, the highest drafted of the of this group of players. So this is another area where they've got some talent and we'll see what happens. Yeah, Conovalov, I mean, just going from the KHL to the AHL is a step down for him. I don't see him spending... A, much of any time in the ECHL to tell the truth. Unless Probably not. Of, uh, of uh, uh, you know a, a definite short-term thing where we're going to get you three games in five days and bring you right back, kind of thing. And of course, the other complicating factor is the Oilers also have three NHL goalies. And yes. what are they going to do with third one of those? Are they going to uh, 
send him down to Bakersfield if they do? Is he going to play? Is he going to spectate? Is he going to coach the other guys? You know, because uh, between Stalock and Koskinen, uh, unless the Oilers keep three, and I don't think that's impossible, but if they if the Oilers keep two and send one down and he clears waivers, which also is, you know, it's it's fluid. I mean, Stalock could get claimed. He could. They put He's probably the waivers. most likely in some ways. They put yeah. Koskinen on waivers. I think he'd clear. But uh, uh, so, and that's not impossible either. We'll, we'll see what happens. But uh, they could wind up with four goalies vying for time at the AHL level. And uh, if you think a three-headed monster is a problem, well, so they're they're going to have to work something out. And uh, uh, it may be that they think they'll put Stalock in on waivers, and it wouldn't be the worst thing to lose them because they've already got these three guys at the AHL level that don't need that complicating factor. So I think they're going to want to see how Koskinen does this year. I wouldn't be surprised to keep, see them keep three goalies for the first month or two until they're sure that Koskinen is good to go and is going to provide solid goaltending this year. I could see them because Stalock isn't a bad bet Mm -hmm. uh, to, to be the number two guy to Smith. So they, they just need to see if Smith, right? Is Koskinen right on? I think they'll keep Stalock actually, be hesitant because you know older goalie and Smith, uh, up and inconsistent goalie and Koskinen. You want to hedge your bets and you don't want to be left having then to trade for someone and give up like a another draft pick to get Alex Alex Stalock level goalie back. Depends if what they think of Skinner. If they think Skinner is NHL ready, and I think what they'd probably want to see from Skinner is him thrive without Gravel and Stanton in front of him with this younger defense in front of them, see how he does this year in Bakersfield before they, before they're convinced of him. I, I don't, I get the sense they're not convinced of Skinner, even though he had such a good year, they're not convinced he's re- NHL ready yet. They need to see more and they're, we'll see. They'll, they'll see that within a couple months. So yeah, Stilek's going to be sticking around. I'm betting sticking around in Edmonton. I think they might go with three after last year's, uh, uh, fiasco, mind you, we don't have the, the taxi squad and the same requirements this year, but I, I have an idea that Ken Holland might uh, take a different approach after getting fairly badly burned at the beginning of last season when uh, when he lost to Goldie on waivers and immediately lost another to injury, and then he was in a pickle for the first month of the season after that. Yeah, so this, this would mean um, if they keep three... So, so the, on their on their extra players at the NHL level would be one forward, one defenseman, and one goalie. Then, yeah. So the extra forward would, would probably be Devin Shore, mm-hmm. uh, or Tyler Benson, um, or Cooper Marodi. One of those, one of those three, or Turris, I guess. Uh, you know, actually, out of those four guys, you'd have your fourth line left winger and your taxi squad guy. And then your extra defenseman's either, um, well, if Russell's third pairing, then Cuckoo's the extra guy, or it could be the other way around. And then Logason sent down. And then your extra goalie is Stalock. So that would probably be the best bet. There's, Of course, there's injuries that come up all the time, so things change fast. Right. Another thing to keep in mind is uh, at the very beginning of the season, there's paper transactions that are conducted for various reasons that the opening day roster is not necessarily the roster they're going to start the season, which which is on day two, and, and uh, the, their first game is on the second day of the season. So they, they can actually do things 
for example, to try and get Oscar Clefbaum's salary on the opening roster, where they, they will uh, either waive or um, send down waiver-exempt players uh, on paper to Bakersfield to make that happen. Uh, and it won't actually mean the guys are going anywhere. So when we hear the announcements at the, of the final roster at the end of the preseason, uh, we'll have to take it with a grain of salt and not panic too badly when we see our favorite players getting uh, sent out because it could well just be uh, stuff on paper. There's also little details to do with bonuses, guys that have bonuses built like in. Like Philip Robury, right? I've like heard his Robury, name mentioned. Like, like there Hall- might be some. Like Holloway. Yeah, Last there might be Bouchard. some reason to keep them. Keep them Last on the roster Bouchard for one game was on, on the roster at the beginning of the season and then shipped to the taxi squad because there's 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 some flexibility in the bonuses of players where if they they don't start the season on the roster and then they get called up they have to count their bonuses against the cap. I don't I don't have uh, uh, um, all all of those details of salary. I prefer watching hockey to accounting. Um, but there, there are considerations that hopefully their Oilers and their and their crack team of uh, capologists will work out. They have created a system, Bruce, that only a lawyer can understand. Like I, like honestly, is there an like? Okay, let's say that Elliot Freeman has the most amount of knowledge about these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. I'm not of any of any NHL writer or commentator right now. He's a very smart guy. He's very plugged in. He knows he's talks to everybody. So he he his understanding. There's probably like ten guys in that category covering the NHL. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure though that any of them completely understand how all of these things work. And f- for the average and like we're obsessed hockey fans, we we don't know how. <laughs> it's very very complicated. And when you hear people try to describe like Ken Holland try to describe it. Like he, he, I'm not sure. I think he knows what he's talking about. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced he can't describe it to someone else though, because he can't. Holland's attempt to explain long-term injury reserve was painful. The more I watched it, the more I thought, yeah, I, I think he knows what's going on, but I don't think he's going to be able to explain it. And he couldn't. He tried for about seemed like ten minutes. Probably was only two, but they were 120 painful seconds. I've given up. Like, I don't even try anymore. I don't care. Like, just, I, I listen to a few guys, original Pusar, mm-hmm. and a few other people who know, who know, and then they, then they disagree. Like, there's a the couple, two or three right. people who you think who really know what they're talking about, and then they disagree, of course, with the other guy who really knows what he's talking about. So. My go-to is Hart from Puckpedia. Yeah. He, he knows his stuff, and, and is very, uh. Uh, forthcoming and 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 willing to share his expertise, which I I for one really appreciate. He will go on orders now and try to explain it, and I will listen. And I'll, and then after a while, I just think, oh, seriously. All right. Um, Not sure anybody in the league understands. Like I think the league kind of makes up some of these rules on the fly. Like they they interpret a given situation and they come up with some kind of a judgment. And, uh, so one other thing about the rookie camp, Bruce, there are some players who I'm kind of excited to seeing. Of course, there's Philip Berryland, who's finally making his North American debut. There's uh, Matvi Petrov, uh-huh. who uh-huh. Uh, who was it like um, people who love love it when you draft skilled attacking players. Uh, you, you know, when you gamble on those players, they love the Mat Matvi Petrov 
pick, he's going to be here, which is kind of surprising because he's a young Russian kid and, you, you, you know, you, they usually stick out there, stick around in Russia. Tyler Tulio is going to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jake Chason, who was, uh, I think, yeah. the fifth, fourth or fifth mm-hmm. round pick this year, yeah. was going to be there. Xavier Bargo, of course, their first round pick, who is an immensely talented player. I mean, I, and I'm saying this just from watching his YouTube highlights, which is the worst way in the world mm-hmm. to judge a hockey player. But you could see from from those clips just what, it, like, you know, some of the plays he can pull off in a game are were pretty remarkable at the junior level. He's a highly skilled young winger, we hope in the mold of Alice Hemsky, Jordan Eberle, Kari Yamamoto. And um, certainly shows shows tremendous, tremendous skill. So that'll be fun to watch him. Um, and then there's the well-named Maximus Wanner on defense, who's going to be in camp. That'll be, uh, see what kind of game he brings us to entertain us. Mm. So, yeah. Two games against the Flames rookies, Bruce. That's yeah. on the card in the cards. Yeah, that's all. We, we haven't got. There's no way to get something going like the Penticton tournament in the current environment. So, and the Oilers actually withdrew from that and the Flames, and they've been playing each other for a couple of years prior to this now. So, yeah, this guy Matvey Petrov. This is interesting. Like 180th overall draft pick, sixth round. This is the pick that uh, Kyle Dubas turned up his nose at. So I'm rooting hard for Matvey Petrov to stick it to Kyle Dubas. What do you um, mean he turned his nose up at it? What well, did he, the Oilers offered a Toronto a sixth-round pick oh. for the Hyman eighth year on the Hyman deal, and, and Dubas held out for more, and he wound up with nothing. Anyway, so the Oilers kept the pick, and they, they've used it on Matvey Petrov. Six-foot-two, uh, plays both wings, right shot, uh, and he is only... Uh, 18 years old, of course, um, and he uh, played in the MHL last year, and he also played for Russia in the World Under-18 Championships. And he scored, he scored pretty good, 22 goals, 20 assists in the MHL for you know a, a young guy. And so what I don't know is if he's here just for camp, and then they're going to send him back out to a Russian team, which is kind of what I guess will happen. But sometimes these European guys come over and they can stick them in the in the minors and you know it's it's uh it's legal to uh to put uh you know underage kids that aren't from the chl if they're from the chl they have to send them back to the chl if they're not they have some some options so it's not impossible that he could wind up at 18 years old i honestly think he'd probably be better off going back home and playing a a, a major role on a team as opposed to uh being on the edges which he probably would be as an 18-year-old pro in North America. Yeah, I'm not sure if anyone has his CHL rights. Can he play major junior hockey? Did you say? I suppose. I, well, I suppose he could, but they did because they didn't draft him out of the CHL. The Oilers have more options on this guy than they do, for instance, on uh, Jake Chason, which he either makes the NHL or he goes back to junior. Right. Whereas uh, with a guy like Matt Bay Petrov, well, he's not going to make the the NHL, but they could put him in the AHL. They could put him in the ECHL. You know, they got they could find a team in the in the uh, uh, CHL that uh, uh, I don't think he's maybe he's been drafted in the CHL import draft. But anyway, there's I, no I'm, indication that he on his elite prospects page that he's been drafted by. He's got a team. Yeah. CH. I don't know if they usually put that on their elite prospects. They usually, they, you know, they're so thorough. 
They usually have well, they lots usually of information. put a line under, you know, at the very bottom of his stats for yeah. 2021-22, you know, just showing which team he's affiliated with. But as I recall, Moskva in the mm-hmm. AMA, that's who they have for okay. this year. So, yeah, he's probably going to go back there. That's probably the best bet for him. He he scored 42 points in 58 games in the MHL last year. It's not like he's the best player in the MHL and doesn't have something to prove there. Like he could right. become a point-a-game player there or, or one of the league leaders in scoring there. So that's that would be the hope for him. But I'm, I'm glad he's here. I'm glad that uh, apparently has a hell of a good shot. Uh, great attacking prospect. All right, Bruce, Any anything else? Any other news coming up? Uh, no. We're just kind of treading water here till the season what? starts. Yeah. Yeah, because yep, rookie camp is a week late than than usual. So we uh, we actually got our prospect series wrapped up a couple of days before they take to the ice. A, a couple of years in the past, I remember doing the wrap article, the wrap uh, on the same day that rookie camp started. So we have a little bit of breathing room, but... Uh, it's coming fast. I mean, the, the season, the the Stanley Cup, the draft, free agency was all pretty much a month later than the traditional schedule. And the new season is starting just a week later. Everything's pushed back about a week. So they really have, uh, have uh, tightened up the summer months to try and get something approaching a regular campaign. And now it's just a matter of, uh, from a public health standpoint, uh, Will they be able to play the games? And what the plan is for a full 82-game season for the first time in three years. I'm fervently wishing that that's what's going to happen. Yeah. Treading water. When I said treading water there, it made me... Did you take ever take swimming lessons as a kid? Not successfully. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I did. But. Do you get some of those badges you had to do? You had to both... Tread water, I can't remember for how long. And then you had to do something called drown proofing. Do you remember that? <laughs> you had to, you'd have to kind of, uh, kind of relax and then float and then float up again, take a breath and float back down, drown proofing. We're drown proofing now in terms of our Oilers coverage, Bruce. We're hanging in there. We're trying to fig- figure out things to talk about. And uh, we're treading water and drown proofing. We're alternating between the two. Mm-hmm. And, but we're going to get right into the front crawl of the of the full uh season soon i can't wait um i'm looking forward to uh to some games and and these rookie games will be exciting because so many players are uh we're going to just get such a fresh look at them in a new in a completely new situation for all of them so mm-hmm. yeah well I'm, I, I'm just looking forward to being back in a rink again hearing the you know snap of pucks off of sticks hitting the boards and skates on ice kind of thing you know last time i was in a rink watching hockey was the john reed memorial tournament here in st albert phantom tournament in january of 2020 20 months ago like in my life i've never had time away from the rink watching games that was more than you know the summer right and yeah it's just uh and I'm always chomping at the bit to go to training camp, to go to rookie camp at the beginning of, the, you know, middle of September, get into it and right from the start. And, you know, it's still this this whole new paradigm of, uh, of, uh, <clears throat> of uh, you know, the COVID era has, uh, has affected us in so many ways. And I mean, hockey, going to live hockey is, you know, not number one on that list, but it's not number 
one billion either, right? I mean, it's it's I miss it. I've been in a lot of rinks all summer long. I have to say, my my daughter, we organized a four on four league, and I was I playing on a team this summer. Mm-hmm. So, and I'm we're starting up again on Monday. Actually, our our uh, NCHL hockey starts on Monday, so that'll be that's going to be a lot of fun. I'm really looking forward to it. And I got some new skates. So, all uh, right. Yeah, I had the blades replaced on my old skates, and I just I just. It, it just wasn't working. I just never got my sense of balance. And I thought it, and I thought suddenly is, is it me? Like, have I lost it as a skater? I was like falling mm-hmm. over. So I finally thought, okay, I've tried, I've tried like 10 times, 15, 10, 15 times skating with these skates. And yesterday I got new skates and I just went out skating this morning. It's mm-hmm. fantastic. So it was the skates. I'm much relieved that it was <laughs> That it wasn't me. That in this case, it was the equipment that I just needed to get the right skates. I still so. have my old Microns that uh, oh, Ken Hitchcock geez. sold me in United Cycle about 35 years ago. <laughs> I think I got rid of my Langs finally. Remember Lang skates? No, the Microns are like molded boot Micron. Yeah, I yeah. had Microns too. Microns were popular, but I have yeah. moved on. I'm back to CCM. Can't beat the old CCM tax. So. The classic skates. I don't think I have tax this time. I think they're called Jet Speeds, and uh, they are fantastic skates. Highly recommend the CCM Jet Speed skate. All right. Let's leave it there. I will say Hitch, Hitch was about the best salesman I ever encountered. Oh, yeah. Ever selling me anything. Such an expert, such a nice manner that he had. He was a huge man at that time and, and a staple at United Cycle, and already, which I didn't know at the time, dominant coach at the uh at the minor hockey level had a had a fantastic team out in Sherwood park at that time and he uh, of course went, went on i mean who would have guessed that that guy would go on to win the stanley cup in the nhl as head coach I mean, but that's the way that's it worked a, out <laughs> that is a true edmonton story that is the <laughs> best that is the best edmonton story there is uh-huh. thanks bruce for talking today all right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>